0: Let's Talk Outdoors is recorded on the homelands of many nations, including the Cree, Soto, Assiniboine, Dene, Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and Métis nations on the Treaty 6 and Treaty 4 territories. We encourage you to always learn more about the stories of the land on which you live, work, and play. Hi, I'm Mike.
1: And I'm Leah, and this is Let's Talk Outdoors. Today, we are talking to Whitney Blaisdell, who is an expert in all things play. Whitney has worked with the Regina City Hall, urban planners, teachers and community members to create new spaces and opportunities for play in the Regina area and beyond.
0: Join us as Whitney changes your perspective on play and how best to embrace it in everyday life.
1: Welcome, Whitney. I came across your work through Play YQR. Can you tell us about starting Play YQR and what it is? Yes. Um, So Play YQR is technically it's a nonprofit
2: organization uh, incorporated in Saskatchewan. And it's sort of the more in-depth version of that is that it's sort of an embodiment of my master's research. um, That's sort of been much more community led at this point than it was, even though it, it sort of was then too. But Essentially, I was doing my master's research, and it was on facilitating factors and barriers to play. And I was doing it um, with caregivers and parents living in Regina, Saskatchewan, and talking to them about you know what facilitates play and what are the barriers to play, and a lot of them were some were personal factors, but there were a lot of systemic factors and things that there were there were such strong patterns in what they were telling me, and and it just seemed like there was actually so much that could be done to make Regina more playful and more. Play prioritizing and to increase access to play and sort of care about play, and it and it did seem like there were some serious gaps in that work not necessarily being done and that there was room for it and a desire for it. And so, I started talking to the city. I didn't know anything about nonprofit organizations or or anything um, about sort of the organizational structure of how all that side works. But I started talking to. The city of Regina, and telling them about some of the projects that I thought could be done, and that I was willing to help do them. But they were the ones that pushed me actually to start a nonprofit and thought that that was sort of what where I could gain the platform and to be able to get funding and sort of be able to do that work. And so I started Play YQI, formed a board and then started it in
1: 2019. Wow. Okay, I'm curious about what these patterns were that you were seeing. Do you want to jump into that? Sure. (laughs) Let's see if I can remember.
2: Um, So, my I used grounded theory, and so I was just listening to people tell stories about play and just talk to me about play, and then would go through and try and find codes. And so I listened to every conversation that I had and typed it up, and then next to every line, I would try and write one word or even kind of a short sentence, or just try to find codes of for every single line, and then look for patterns in them, and then you sort of end up with this theory. And what I was hearing is there's four sort of major, I guess, five sort of major factors to play that I was seeing and that people seem to be telling me about. And one was schools and sort of early learning centers. They have a really great capacity to influence how playful the community is. So whether they send home homework, what the kids are doing all day, the sort of tone and messages that they're sending home about child development, homework, academia, sort of what is important, what matters to kids in childhood. Parents are, are super to that and the community is really into that. Whether we see kids, you know, when you're driving around during the day, whether kids are outside or if they're just inside the school all day, really people are picking up on that. And so that was a big factor with schools, um, what they're saying about play. And another one was adult playfulness, and so do parents, you know, do adults in the community, whether they have kids or not, do they have their own sense of playfulness? That was a huge factor to someone's um, parenting and sort of life with play, oh, sort of holistic wellness. So a lot of people talked about mental health and play, and whether they had access to mental health supports, and that that was a really strong factor to their playfulness. Uh, so that was a really big one. And then another one, which play culture sort of lives in this space, was is there free accessible spontaneous play just happening in the community are there things that you can attend that don't cost money um that you can show up as you are um you don't have to plan a bunch you don't have to organize you don't have to bring a bunch of stuff you know can you just pop into places and play um and so those were four really big factors and they're all sort of feeding each other but then another one was a really interesting one that took me a long time to figure out what it was i couldn't place my finger on it but it was essentially the awareness of the preciousness of life and so almost this grappling with mortality that leads people to be playful so things like having a new baby born in your family or or even seeing a newborn can have this effect of um the preciousness of life and that life is short and our our days are numbered Um, a midlife crisis i think is actually like this grappling with i you know when my life is half over and i haven't played as much as i should have or deserve to or whatever and so then people will make these big decisions or make huge changes to their lives because they're looking for play, I think. Um, a death to losing somebody, whether it's someone that you were expecting to lose or, or something really unexpected and tragic can have this effect on us of all of a sudden you see the big picture and often seeing that big, t- big picture makes us want to play. So, and all these factors are inter and codependent on each other and really influence play. So it was it was a really fun, it was a fun project to work on.
0: Yeah, no kidding. That sounds great. <laughs> I mean, you defined like a whole bunch of structures there really nicely too. I think I think of like my grandparents and how they play with my nieces and nephews. And it's totally different than how, or sorry, my parents and, and like their, uh, and my spouse's parents too. They play with the grandkids far differently than they played with us. You know, it's like they're on their like not that they're great parents, everybody around, but <laughs> they're like way more involved in that create, like that creation of play. Yeah. Um with the grant, I mean, they're not working, you know, they're all retired age now too, which helps. But it's like it's just that you can see I think that was really residing with me when you were hitting home with me when you're talking about that stuff. Cause it's just like, yeah, they do have this kind of sense of like this is important. And yeah, it's it's a different kind of scope.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think age does that too. It's too right. And when you're not working so hard, you know, a lot of parents are in a really stressful time of their lives because a lot of them are often also, you know early career stage and so mm-hmm. they're trying to get promotions or they're trying to prove themselves and, and whatnot whereas grandparents are so wonderful if you're lucky to have them around because they're often you know near retirement or retired sometimes if they're, if they're fortunate and they have the time and their perspective to play uh, so it's a really intergenerational play is so cool too
0: mm-hmm you were talking about how city council or city hall was kind of pushing you to do some of this work too. Why is it? Why is it so important for people to play?
2: That's a big question. Um, it's play is so important for our health and just just everything. Um, I, you know, if you follow like Lev Vygotsky, um he's like a, a play theorist kind of. Uh, he talked about play as being one of the most significant things for child development. Um, which is interesting because I try to not follow child development too closely and try to almost discard child development as like, you know, what if we saw children as, instead of in a developmental stage, which is often how they're positioned and framed. If they, if we looked at children as a complete being exactly how they should be, uh, then I think we would see them as more worthy of play. And I think we would, we would value play more if we, respected and honored children for what they are so this is one of the reasons that play is important is just for joy and just that you know we deserve to play Um, it makes people happy when children talk to researchers about why they play they're always asked why why do you want to play or what motivates you to play And it's it's consistently just happiness if you look at all the things that we don't know about the world too and that we're all just on this big spinning rock floating in this endless universe that's expanding too like it's constantly expanding um you know it's like it's arrogant not to play and it's arrogant to send kids to school all day and make them learn all this stuff that when we don't know so much and then send them home with homework and make make children and parents and community members feel like there's sort of anything else better to do and I know that sounds so dramatic but it's just such an important thing just to to live Life and try to be happy and try to help other people find ways to just experience pleasure and joy in such a fleeting human experience.
0: You're making me rethink giving homework now. So okay, this is good.
1: <laughs> yes, okay, I'm doing, <laughs> doing what I set out to do. <laughs> conversation has turned much more existential than I expected. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't
2: mean for that time. It's funny because I get asked why is play important. I feel like anytime I do something like this or I'm doing a talk or something that's always a question and I, every time my answer is different and that was a pretty dramatic kind of <laughs> that's answer. good
0: good angle <laughs>
1: yeah, this is where we're at tonight so we jumped into talking about play but we didn't really define what play is and I think that that's well maybe there's like a real definition of play Or uh, can you tell us what your definition of play is or what the different definitions are Yes, there's so many definitions of
2: play. There's even, Dr. Brian Smith has something like hundreds of pages that fill a book and it's called The Ambiguity of Play where he's just trying to categorize how different people define and think about play. I take what some people would refer to as a stance mode on play, which is a little bit unique because I look at play as whatever someone is doing as long as they're approaching it in such a way that the act of doing it takes precedence over whatever outcome they might get out of it. And so the way that I approach play is that you can't recognize it, you would never be able to look at someone and decide whether they're playing or not. Um, It could because it depends on how they're approaching that activity. So someone can look like they're really hard at work sitting at a desk writing. But to me, that could be play, if they're enjoying the writing, or even if they started out with the outcome of trying to publish a short story, but they get so lost in it that all of a sudden they don't care about publishing it anymore. They're just having such a fun time writing it. or And play isn't always fun, but you know they're just so into the process of whatever it is that they're doing that it all of a sudden becomes play. So play is also very fragile. Sometimes I'll try to explain, if you were to look at a soccer field filled with children playing soccer and they each had a light bulb over their head. And while it was green, it means they're playing. And when it's red, they're not playing. That light will switch back and forth from green and red constantly on the field, depending on what they're doing and what they're thinking about. So, you know, they're, they're, they've got the ball and they're so engrossed in what they're doing and they're playing and they're running on towards the other side of the field, but then they see their coach or they see their parent and they remember that they're also trying to, you know, win this championship for their team. And all of a sudden it's still fun and it's still important, but it's no longer play for a few moments because they're, they're really trying to win that game. And then all of a sudden they get lost in it again and it, so the light bulb turns green. So it's, it's a very fragile, slippery thing.
0: <laughs> it's really cool. It's a neat way to think about it.
2: Mm-hmm. It really opens up what people consider play, I find. It, and it, it, it's helpful for me even to remind myself of the way that I think about play. And it also opens up choice and it opens up choice for children. Uh, Because even sometimes the most playful and play endorsing to play advocating adults can start to guide play and start to, you know, tell children, no, this is what we're going to do for play. And then it's, it's not really play. And we forget to honor the things that children would prefer to do and what, what is play for them.
0: That's really cool. I coach, uh, like competitive improv cool. it's, yeah, it's competitive part is, is pretty like side, side of the point, but I, I have coached like some good teams and I've coached some teams that it, they haven't succeeded as much. And I remember getting the notes, like, well, are you telling the kids like what these, cause you can choose like a genre a theme Are you, are you kind of designing the whole thing or letting the kids do it? I'm like, well, I guess the ones that I have sucked at are the ones that I've really pushed the, Like I've pushed my own idea on the kids. And the ones that they have more fun, you can just tell like they're they're not worried about the competition. It's is when they create it and they're just having fun to do that.
2: That's that just really cool. yeah,
0: hit a note with me. So thanks there with
2: me. Yeah, for sure. Now that you're saying that, it also it reminds me that play is really hard work. And for a child and we forget this all the time, we think it's silly or we think it's nonsense. But for example, for a child to often create a world inside their head and if you're lucky, you know, invite you into that world. And they'll, they'll often, depending on what age they are, and, and all sorts of things, but they'll give you little rules, and you start to learn about this world. And they trust you so much to not shatter it, right? And you're so then together, you're containing this world. And in a way, and it's so difficult and it's, it's very tiring and it's exhausting and it's hard work. And there's research where children's entire brains are lit up when they're playing, especially imaginative play. But improv is actually, you're suspending a whole world together. So it's very hard work and it takes a lot of teamwork and collaboration and communication skills and all these things that play requires. That I feel people don't, but we take it for granted all the skills involved in, in that kind of play. I feel all those skills are, you need them for improv. So I wonder if, People who who do improv are really inherently playful or had a lot of play
1: experience growing up. That would be a cool study. <laughs>
0: There's a good research question in there somewhere. Yes, yeah. there is. <laughs> yes.
1: Sask outdoors does some work around outdoor play, um, and I find that most people associate it with early years or like that under seven kind of age group. Yes, is that your experience overall and how do we how do we work through that that play is for people of all ages
2: yeah that's a that's a great question and you know it's so interesting because I became interested in studying play and started studying play and ever since I sort of this is really poor language to use but like came out as a play scholar and that you know am interest interested in play I want to study play I've been consistently sort of pigeonholed into early years and people think I'm also an early years scholar or that my interest is in the early years. And I do some work in the early years, but that's, that's not where my interest lies. And my interest is all years and just play. That's really where my loyalty is, is just with play, but I'll do anything with play. And it is a constant struggle to pull play out of early years and to get people to think that you're talking about them. And it's a whole other struggle to get people to understand that you're sometimes not talking about children or even youth at all but just adults. And I talk about making playful communities and people, again, I have to always explain that I'm not always talking about child-friendly communities or, or communities for children to play, but places where there's arts experiences and parks that are designed for adults or with, at least with adults in mind. And adults also feel often left out of park design, which they are. And there's so many issues with, the way that we construct play as not only unimportant and silly and nonsensical, but also only for children. And I think those two ideas also feed each other that, you know, because adults aren't supposed to play, it's also not very important for children and, and vice versa sort of thing where children shouldn't be playing because when they're adults, they don't need to play. And then the cities are constructed around play only for children and it's a it's a very serious issue but yes I constantly have to try to pull play out of early years and even put it in early years right so it's, yeah. it's hard
1: what got you interested in this area you describe yourself as a play scholar what like did you have experiences in your life that led you to be really interested in play or how did you get to be a play scholar yeah
2: that's a good question um I grew up, I moved around a lot when I was a kid. And for a little bit, I was living in Alberta, in Bray Creek, Alberta. And I wasn't in any programming. And we were living, it was pretty, pretty rural. And I was in the middle of a forest and I had so much time to just play. And was outside all the time and did a lot of art and just had so much time at my disposal, it felt like. And then started to get into different programming and more structured activities. And whenever I look back at my childhood, I I just so value the times that I didn't have anything to do and just these long stretches of, of time to play. And I feel that they're most sort of informative to who I am now. And when I was doing my master's research, that's actually, that was a common theme too, was that people would often attribute their favorite qualities of themselves the time that they had to play. But I started getting interested in play, not just because of my own experiences, but the very first grad class I took was with Karen Wallace and Patrick Lewis, and it was on play art and storytelling. And it was mostly a play class on play and play scholarship. And Patrick Lewis has a paper called The Erosion of Play about how play is changing across childhood landscapes. And it just fascinated me and I for some reason just cared about it so much where it sounds so silly and kind of ridiculous and privileged and I, it maybe it is all those things but it actually would it would keep me up at night this you know the, the changes that are happening across childhood and that there's so much less time and sort of a culture of play than that there used to be and so I just became so fascinated and then it just that was the very first uh, grad class I took and then by the time I was ready to do my thesis I was still so set on play and then I did my thesis and now I, I hopped right into my PhD and I'm still here <laughs> studying play so it's just really stuck with me yeah
0: that's great yeah so on that note then how can we kind of find more opportunities to create ways to play or places to play
2: Uh that's a really good question so and that's that's been I mean that was the focus of my master's in a way it it depends on, on what level you're approaching that question from, you know, on an individual level, it's, do you have things that you like to do? Do you have things that you do in your life for no reason other than because you enjoy doing them or because of whatever you get out of the moment of doing them, not because of whatever outcome they bring you. So that's a really big, a big thing is just to consistently have something like that in your life. But other things are, I mean, society is so, it's so unplayful, the way that, the world works right now, and I don't know if we ever get political on here or like get really critical. But you know, capitalism and neoliberalism and all these big, all these big words—they all add up to this extremely unplayful kind of grind culture, gross culture that that we're so entrenched in. Especially, I find in North America. So that's more of a, a systemic issue. But something I'm paying a lot of attention to right now is the way that particularly urban prairie cities are designed because we're positioned as sort of winter cities. But I feel that we've been really slow to actually, (laughs) this sounds cheesy, but warm up to winter where we don't necessarily, I think we're starting to, but there hasn't been a really strong culture, sort of mainstream culture of embracing winter. And if you think of, you know, some in some other areas of the world, they'll do things like give every single child a snowsuit. And that's just part of part of how the how society and the community supports community members. I've tried so hard to get funding to, especially for people who really can't afford, you know, it's very expensive to play in the prairies, and play is a privilege here. And so things like that where the community could be supporting play by making sure that everybody has prairie appropriate outerwear. You know, some people can't go outside and it's not a mindset thing. You know, weather isn't always just, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's only bad clothes. Well, some people don't have the appropriate clothes and it's thousands of dollars to outfit a family appropriately. So that's a a really big issue here. I think that we could, if we wanted to, we could fund that. You know, we put tons of funding into things like early childhood literacy, but yet almost nothing into childhood outdoor play. And regardless of, we know the benefits of it. So that's something that I think could and should happen. Another thing is how cities are designed. So I've I've been paying a lot of attention to urban design where, you know, Regina in particular is so car centric where it's almost impossible to really get along with your day, especially in the winter in anything other than a car, your own personal vehicle. If you want to be able to get to multiple different places and have a smooth day but it doesn't need to be like that right and and there's very few places where you can go and spend a prolonged time outdoors we don't have things like heated shelters or patio lamps or there's not a lot of ways to warm up outside and a lot of ways that the community tries to extend the time that families can spend outside for example in parks and that's changing too so you know we just got a lot of new fire pits which to me is a huge shift in the, in the way that Regina is starting to embrace winter. And I, I have noticed a really big change and that they're paying a lot of attention to noticing the fact that we have winter here for half of the year.
0: And they act like water coolers too. You know, people come together that don't know each other necessarily and they yeah get to chatting, but not to bring a capitalist idea into the outdoors like that. But yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And A well-designed park does that too. And any, any well-designed or well-used community space is so important for bringing neighborhoods together for social cohesion and neighborhood cohesion and just having a really strong community is, is so dependent on design, which I didn't really, I took that for granted, I think until, just because now I'm so curious
1: about it, but it's, it's very, very important. But what are some design features that facilitate play and, community coming together that's a really good question things that you wouldn't
2: expect so interestingly not playgrounds so playgrounds are very heavily criticized and I think with good reason I criticize them too when we do our play programming outside we often avoid playgrounds altogether just because it changes the way that people play they're not always accessible Um, they can be you know completely inaccessible to some children and families but boring and sterile to others and then super dangerous to others depending on risk and level and all these different factors um and adults will very very rarely get on the playground and so we like to go outside to places where there's gardens or we go to wascana habitat area lots and areas where there's no prescribed way to play with the equipment often because there is no equipment and so you're just interacting with nature and interacting with each other and we bring food and whatnot but in terms of design so actually nature is is a huge a huge yeah a very important part of design is just is there actual nature and I think we often see just being outside as nature but I look at it you know a well manicured park where there's not a weed in sight isn't really nature. Um, I like weeds and I like um, seeing different types of life and and children really like it too and families and and adults. Everyone seems to sort of connect over experiencing nature. So that's a really important thing. Lighting is huge. You know, again, we live in a winter city and it's so dark where for at least a month, you know, you're basically kids are waking up and going to school and it's dark when they get there. It's basically dark when they leave. And having lights but also beauty and i think those two things go together and so things like it's amazing what some well-placed twinkle lights wrapping a tree will do to making families want to go to a park and for safety when i was doing my master's research a lot of women were sharing that they don't go to dark places at night for safety reasons so you know they wouldn't go there so they're certainly not taking their children there so I think we can help extend play and bring community together so well through lighting. And then another thing is planning for the journey. So again, sort of back to that urban design piece, but what is it like to get to this place that you want people to go to? You know, do they have to drive there and park and is it unpleasant or is there an easy way to hop on a bus and is it on a good bus route and are there cycling pathways? Is there a place to walk up a bicycle? Um, is there a nice walking path? And is again, is it well lit? A well-lit place with multiple pathways and ways to get there that are also well-cared for and safe-seeming and well-lit will do wonders for bringing community together.
0: How has it been working with the city on this sort of stuff? I mean, I know they suggested that you did this, but you've kind of been building this program now from the ground up. And how's that whole experience been for you? And I know kind of starting with this thing that was, you know, keeping you up at night (laughs) and then now making it something actionable was pretty cool. So how has that all been?
2: Yeah, you know, it's been really interesting. The city has been one of our biggest champions. Uh, so they funded us right away and gave us funding to do something called Communities at Play, where we meet up at libraries, art galleries, earliest family resource centers and parks all over the city. We provide free food, free transportation, and it's all our welcome. That's Anybody great. can come. So really low barrier, just play. And I was thrilled to get funding for it. And they also fund our winter act. We do some, we try and really pump up our activities in the winter and do some winter stuff. And they are so on board with that too. Like I said, how they're just starting to clearly really embrace winter. There are some challenges for sure. So one thing is that with most funders and the city is very much included here, there's this really ironic thing that I think is very toxic for clay where you apply for funding And you have to fit your project into predetermined outcomes. And they're set in place by the funders. And if you've been paying attention to this conversation, outcomes, there are no outcomes to play, right? And so uh, it's a very, almost by definition, unplayful public sector, because you have to find an outcome for everything that you're doing, often multiple outcomes, where you have to say, you know, for example, in my case, if I want to defend play as a health initiative then I have to say yes kids are going to be active and running around yes they're going to be eating healthy food or literacies often you know you have to try and find these outcomes and fit your project into them so yes we're going to be reading we're going to the library we're promoting these literacy infused spaces you have to find all these things and I I really don't like to do that and I try as hard as I can not only not to but to talk to funders and explain you know I want to do this project that I think is really important. And what I look at as outcomes are things like the fact that the project fills up right away and we have people showing up every time. We develop a waiting list. There's clearly a desire for it. And also that the families who come to it keep coming back. And so it's saying something important, but we just can't exactly put our finger on what it is, but it's because it's play, right? And we're also one of the only programs that when people come, we're also there for not giving them an outcome. So you don't have to come to communities that play and learn how to read. You don't have to come to communities that play and run around. I'm not going to teach you how to play soccer, but you can play it if you want to. You know, it's very, you can just show up, it's come and go and do whatever you want when you're there. And that's, that's very unique, which is also a problem because there should be more of that, right? But it's because of the whole funding structure and how everything is outcome-based, which makes sense for things like, accountability and the community wanting to know where their tax money is going and wanting to kind of have oversight of that but is really bad for supporting the imagination of nonprofit leaders who have great ideas but then have to hide them in these disguised projects
0: yeah kind of fitting the box of somebody of some other thing yeah
2: exactly yeah
0: mhm I'm just thinking of like somebody randomly dancing on the street and I'd be like, Oh, that's not meant to be there. It's meant to be in the studio. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, yeah, there's places to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think those things that someone's dancing in the street, but I could see, you
2: know. Yeah. If someone's dancing in the street, you might think, why don't I dance in the street or sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: there's,
2: there's this other. What are they listening to? Yeah. Yeah. There's um this other really interesting, sort of finding that, was, that showed up in my master's thesis so much was that play is contagious. And so when you see people out playing or doing something, not necessarily if it's dangerous or ridiculous, right? <laughs> but if you see people um, playing hopscotch on the sidewalk or blowing bubbles, or even just just adults uh, doing something fun, playing ping pong or you know um, shooting some hoops or, or whatnot, sometimes we see them and we remind, it, it's just a good reminder to play seeing people laughing and smiling. It doesn't even have to be people, but left over sort of evidence that play occurred. who will have the same effect. And so it's interesting because then play breeds play where, you know, we try and be really public and we try and get out into the community. And so we're very visible. And so then people see, you know, a bunch of people playing and then it hopefully translates to just reminding that, play is it's not even that play is important but that it's acceptable you know just the where we're at with the stigma around play it's that it's okay to play
0: mm-hmm. absolutely I'm a drama teacher and so like I we have a rule where everybody plays so I've got to jump in and do all the things with them too and yeah that's always a thing like I've I've noticed over the years if I stop or if like two or three kids stop It just kind of everybody just is like, oh, okay, now there's people watching and doing that. But if everyone's doing something crazy and stupid, they're all like, okay, this is good. And they can all do it.
2: Yeah, it's so easy to shatter.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked what you said. That's fragile. I really liked that. It's
1: very fragile. Yeah. How has your work affected your parenting in modeling play and how you're incorporating play into your family's life? That's a great question. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. It's gone
2: both ways, really, because I I really value play and I know it's important and I read a lot about play and I care about it. And so it helps me, I think, keep myself kind of in check where I know that I don't want my kids to do homework every night. I know that they're okay and that they don't have to do that. I know that they're not falling behind. And if they did fall behind, it's only behind a sort of misguided standard that someone made up. <laughs> and so I have a lot of confidence in them and that that they're okay and that a lot of the things that we make up about children isn't true. So that's been very helpful. And the same thing with structured activities. You know, they are in some and I really value sports and I value structured activities, but it doesn't they my I want to make sure that my kids have a lot of time for, for the things that they want to do and enjoy. And I try not to interrupt their play and the things that they enjoy try not to push my own nostalgia on them of well this is what I like to do and therefore you must enjoy it so that's helpful but another thing is I find sometimes because I'm so curious about play it's hard for me to really sink into it and so we'll go to the park but then I'm thinking about it the whole time or I'm looking at other people and I'm like well they're here like how'd they get here and I I wonder if they're enjoying it and what are the things that they're doing and um, so it can actually be strangely challenging to relax myself into play with my kids just because I'm constantly overthinking it. But overall, I think it's, it's been a, a very helpful product, um, my research and the things I work on just because it's a little bit counterculture. So I feel that it helps me not that I'm immune to it. Cause I do get self-conscious and I do worry as a parent for sure. And I, um, do get nervous about things and anxious about things and is this good enough and I good enough is what I'm doing and providing good enough? I feel all those things, but it helps me for sure to just value play.
0: Well, Whitney, this has been great. Given you have any resources or kind of social media things that you've been, I mean you I obviously do junior masters, you'd have a ton of resources you could look into this stuff. but are there kind of ones that you would like to highlight that have been this is a great resource to look at for people that want to get more into this concept?
2: Yeah, I really like her name is Megan Zenny, And she's from BC. And she's a teacher. And I just find she's also a PhD candidate, I believe now. So I think she's pretty close to being done her PhD. And she's been doing her PhD on outdoor learning and outdoor play as a teacher. And I have attended a couple of her webinars. And I read some of her work. And I just find Everything that she does, and she has a website, which i'll I'll share with you. but she just is so clear and concise and has such great ideas of how to support play and has done a lot of research on what works in helping. she's she speaks particularly from a teacher perspective, but that's such an important perspective, right? is what actually will help teachers get kids outside and so her work is just phenomenal and it's very helpful because she's Canadian and so she understands the Canadian context I wish there was more of that for prairies because she's often talking about uh getting ready for rain and you know being wet all the time whereas how I'm curious to know how to really embrace winter play outdoors when it's minus 40 for two weeks straight often and, you know, the amount of cold that we face or it just adds some different context and different barriers, but her work is, is phenomenal. And she has some really amazing resources and she does some free webinars and stuff sometimes, which have never, ever been disappointed. So that's my favorite resource.
0: Very cool. And we'll put a link to you as well, like to your organization. I mean,
1: Oh, awesome. Can you talk a little bit about play and screen time and if playing video games? is play in the way that we've discussed yes so and and I get this question all the time and unfortunately
2: the short answer is sort of I don't know what to say about screens and play and don't really fall in a particular position on it personally but there's a couple things that I think are important to consider and I mean some play scholars and people who who look at things like child development, which again, I try to sort of discard that conversation around child development and really look at children for as a, a whole developed person just in a moment. But they'll say, you know, no screens and digital play isn't play. But there's a lot of important things that I think happen and that attract children to screens and to online play and to social media. And one of the most important things that I think Is that it is a space for them that they feel a sense of belonging. You know, the language that they see, the images that they see, it's all catered to them. And as we've sort of been talking about all evening, is that space doesn't exist in the public sphere, especially for youth. And so teenagers and and youth will talk about how much they like being online and they feel a sense of belonging there that they don't feel in the community, you know, they're often looked at as loitering, um, you know, they're up to no good, people give them dirty looks, there's not really spaces that are set aside, just for teenagers. And so online is one of the only spaces that they can fully inhabit, just as they are, and that welcomes them with open arms, right. And they also another really important thing about online space and ironic thing about it too is that it's a space where they have privacy because they're often surveilled in public and you know they're driven places way more now than teenagers and youth used to be where you know they used to be able to walk more and ride bikes and just have more trust and freedom and and an existence in the public sphere that they don't have as much and so online spaces they get to go and they don't necessarily have parents and adults looking over their shoulder and monitoring their language and monitoring the way that they're showing up, the way that they're dressed, um, you know, the way they've done their makeup, any, anything like that, the way they're expressing their gender and all these things that children and youth are navigating, they can do it in an online space without a lot of adult control. And so I think that's a really attractive part of the online world that we don't give them enough space to just have that. Uh, so that's important. And, and it is, it's, I mean, it's also that video games and social media, it's, it's addicting and it's designed to be. And someone told me something kind of depressing the other day that there's more research or more money for researchers to design addicting social media and video games and things like that than there are in, I can't remember what field it was, but there's a lot of money there. and um, So that's something to, to for sure be wary of, but it, it's attractive for a reason. They feel welcome, and that they have privacy and, and a sense of control. I think that they just don't have elsewhere. so that was a that was a long answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. My eldest child is thirteen, so I'm just entering this world of parenting a teenager. And if I'm looking at his digital space, he gets very like, "You're invading my space. Why you're you can't look at my stuff?" And I was like, "Well." In my family, in my in my house, you, I can. It's, it's not a. <laughs> it's a right, not a privilege, or the other way around. Um, but, but that what you just said like brings a lot of clarity to that. That he, he probably possibly for him it feels like a whole world where he can be and is accepted. And um, anyway, it was it was helpful. It's such a complicated issue. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it, it's interesting.
0: I imagine though, just like you shouldn't play soccer for 12 hours, you probably shouldn't be on a screen for 12 hours either. I'm sure there's a balance. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything in moderation. Yeah.
0: Well, Whitney, uh, one of the questions we usually ask all of our guests at the end of the interview is um, where's your favorite place to visit in Saskatchewan?
2: That's a really good question. Um, Can I give two?
0: Sure. Yeah. We'll allow it.
2: Okay. One just because it's right near my house, and so I I probably I go there every day. And it's Les Sherman Park, and there are tons of rabbits there. And there's one small playground, but it's just a beautiful space. And it's we've lived in the same house since way way before we had kids, and so it's just been this constant space in my life that I really love. So that's one. And the other one is um, the Wolseley Swinging Bridge. And it's just this bridge that you can go and walk on. I don't know if either of you have, have walked on it, but it swings. And I know that, that, I mean, that's obvious in the name, but there's a story behind it that I don't really remember. But um, I went there, there was sort of a tragedy in my family. And I was on a road trip with my partner and we stopped there. And he proposed that we go and walk on onto this bridge and the bridge you cannot walk on it without it swinging and then it's just the most playful place i can think of is just this bridge just because you walk on it and it starts swinging and then you it 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 engages your whole body to try and you know you have to try and control yourself because you'll fall (laughs) like it's easy to feel like you're going to fall down and so it's just such an embodied thing to go and walk out onto this bridge and it swings and you kind of can't help but feel silly on it. And you couldn't make it across, I think, without it swinging and without like trying not to fall. And so (laughs) I just, and apparently something happened where it needed to be rebuilt or something. And they the the whole community kind of came together and made sure there was enough money and fundraised because they really wanted to retain this playful swinging bridge. And so I just, to me, it represents this whole community just embracing play. And I like it because it's kind of an adult play space right and our kids will go on it and run across it because it's in between where we live and where my in-laws live so we'll stop halfway and play on the bridge but I just everything about it I just love it that's great we've never had that answer before okay well yes shout out to the lovely people of for
1: making that bridge and keeping it (laughs) the other question that we ask all our guests is if you could change one thing about the world what would it be I would just
2: completely reimagine it as a space where we embrace play and where we honor children. And I think if we really cared for and honored and loved and respected children, we would have so much play. I like it. <laughs>
0: Every bridge could be wobbly. Yes.
2: Actually, I will change my answer.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Yours is no better answer. No stable
2: bridges. I was just
0: imagining how everything would be. Yeah. <laughs> but everything's
2: topsy-turvy. Yeah. And...
0: yeah. <laughs> leah what's your takeaway from our conversation with whitney there
1: uh what the thing that is sticking in my brain is how she described play as being fragile and then you referenced it later in our conversation i've been thinking throughout our conversation like do i play what is play for me uh and and when she talked about it being fragile it helped me frame it in my own life because it was just those moments and a, her analogy of having kids with little light bulbs on a soccer field. Like that's the play in my life. Like it comes and goes and it's fleeting, but it is there. So I'm going to, I think hopefully approach my life, my own and my family's uh, without just like keeping an eye open for that in the next couple of days and see when I see play happening. What about you, Mike?
0: Well, it's funny. I, I teach like drama in the mornings and then I teach like a climate education course in the afternoon. And I definitely switch a, like flip a switch where in the mornings. I'm like, I'm just having a ton of fun, like, you know, playing around and in the afternoon. I'm like, Man, look, and like, we got we got five years to change the world. Otherwise we're in deep doo doo. So, and like, I don't know, I don't let the kids play, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I structure it very, very much. So, so yeah, I'm going to try to in my practice, bring about things that Whitney was saying of letting kids have those opportunities for play whether I'm creating that time for them to do it or even opportunities like through, through um, projects and stuff like that. This podcast is produced in association with Sask
2: Outdoors. Check us out online at saskoutdoors.org.